as the children who beat me to it are dismissed for children's church, I, I realized I came across a word recently, neurodivergent. It's a word that describes my brain. Lots of, woo, lots of things going on. So, well done. All right. Um, as the children are dismissed, I want to welcome you. If I've not met you personally, my name is Chad Donhoe. I'm the interim pastor here at Grace. And I would invite you this morning to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. The book of Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 18. So we have finished our study of the minor prophets, and we are venturing now into a three-week series where we will consider the significance of what it means that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And this is leading us to Easter morning. So this morning we consider Jesus as our prophet. Next week, Palm Sunday, Jesus as our priest. And finally, on Easter morning, the theme of Jesus as our king. And this morning, our prayer is from Philippians chapter 1. We'll take one of Paul's prayers and we'll make it our own. So let's pray. Father, it is... Our prayer that as we open up your scriptures, that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that we may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. In Deuteronomy... Chapter 18, starting in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak such a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How will we know that the word of the Lord is not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And together, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So to begin with a quote of a theologian I like, The more you understand the Old Testament, the closer you come to the heart of Jesus in his understanding of his own identity and mission. To understand Jesus, his heart, his identity, his mission, means that we have a deeper and deeper understanding of the Old Testament, and specifically the offices, you could say the roles of prophet, priest, and king, and how Jesus fulfilled those roles and what this means for us today. So we've spent 
The last 12 weeks, or the last 12 weeks that I've been preaching, we've spent in the minor prophets. And uh, this theme this morning is Jesus as our prophet. And so because we've spent 12 weeks, and I'll just be brief and recap the role of a prophet in the Old Testament scriptures. So if you're the type that likes to doodle on your bulletins while you are listening, when I think of prophet, and in the past when I've taught college students, I usually, if I'm talking about a prophet, if I'm doodling on the board, I draw a big mouth, I draw big lips. The role of a prophet is the mouth of the Lord. They often would begin their sentences, thus says the Lord. Their role, you could say, was that of forthtelling and foretelling. First, forthtelling. Think of, we could think of prophets when we, the word forthtelling, think of a prophet like, like a preacher, right? That um, reminding the people of God's law, of God's character, calling them to respond to God in repentance and faith, obedience. Or you could say with the, with the prophets, uh, we could think of them as covenant enforcers, God's promise, his covenant promise, is that God will be a faithful God to his people. He calls his people to be faithful to him. But oftentimes, what the prophets in the Old Testament would do is build a case against God's people when they were not being faithful to the Lord with their sins of idolatry or oppression, um, many other sins, greed, you name it. And the prophets would remind God's people of God's covenant blessings if they obey, but that God will allow covenant curses if they are not faithful to him. So prophets, mostly it's the role of forthtelling, telling forth the truth about God. But also prophets uh, at times were foretellers, meaning sometimes the prophets would predict and reveal the future. So, my guess is that we've all been in circumstances where we would love for God to send us a prophet to give us the scoop on what we should do in the future, right, to help us along, especially with big decisions, you know, like relationships or job opportunities, house buying or house selling, anything like that. Um... So many years ago, Tiffany and I were wrestling with a major decision. And I don't exactly recall the details of the decision. I'm, I'm, I was talking to Tiffany about this yesterday. Like I, We both agree we think it had to do with a future job and the direction we were going to go. But I uh, can't remember all the details. But I do remember clearly that we, were, um, we went for a walk to talk about it, to, to, to pray about it. And I don't know if you've ever been in these situations where... Um, you're pleading with God, you know, just can you reveal it? Can you tell us? Uh, can you make it really easy? Guide us, lead us, give us a sign, whatever it may be. And that's not always wise, but uh, sometimes we're desperate. Um, but as, uh, as we were praying this, and right, I, I still remember the moment, praying, God, would you, would you really lead us, help us to know? Right then a car passed us and went over a speed bump and out of the back window, a book flew out because it was on the back ledge behind the seat. It literally fell out and was like 10 yards in front of me. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like, yeah, maybe. Maybe you're not thinking what I'm thinking. Um, 
could this be it? Is God communicating with us through this? Like, is, is, he, is he, you know, what is this? So I was curious. I excitedly walked over, grabbed the book, and I kid you not, this is a true story. I pick it up, and holding it in my hand is a Harlequin romance novel. <laughs> um, it was an interesting read. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. But I saved it. Uh, the title is Infatuation, right? So I saved the cover of it. The back of it, apparently Luke, he's a financial wizard. Judith, raising rapidly in the banking world. Uh, Luke offered her the job. Uh, looked as though they had all the ingredients needed to make a good team. Uh, perhaps it was inevitable that they should find each other attractive. Well, at any rate, Judith was dismayed to realize that she had fallen in love with Luke. Dismayed because Luke was engaged to her old friend, Baba. Yeah, Baba, B-A-B-A. And how can she possibly think of stealing him from her? So, okay, it was very apparent God was not trying to speak to me through um, a Harlequin uh, romance novel. But it would be great, wouldn't it, if God at times revealed himself clearly, his will to us, he has, hasn't he? It's the scriptures. He's revealed all that we need for life, for godliness. And I tell that story because it would have been amazing, right, if, if a word for the Lord came through whatever book felt. But, but what's really amazing is that God has spoken. He's spoken into our world and he has revealed all that we need to know to walk in full confidence and to walk in full obedience. But there's the problem, or here's the problem. It's not that God hasn't spoken, it's that we're not always great at listening, right? We, uh, not listening, it's, it, it's a bad trait, it'll get you in trouble. And this, uh, we've inherited this from our first parents, from Adam and Eve. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve everything. We'd love to see how, well, we will one day, right? Even greater. How great that creation, how glorious it was. They had everything. God said, you may eat of all the trees in this garden, one prohibition, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that one or you'll die. But they mishandled the word of God. They listened to the wrong voice, the voice of the serpent. They sinned against God. They were exiled out of the garden, separated from God's presence, and through them, judgment was brought upon all humanity because they did not listen to the clear word of God. And what was God's answer? Not to give up. God had a sovereign plan that he would inevitably and eventually crush the head of the serpent, finish the curse or undo the curse of sin and secure a people for himself who would listen and follow. And at the center of God's plan is Jesus, the Son of God who was sent into the world. Now, if you were to go down to Mass Street, Let's just say like on Monday, and there's a lot of people there. If you were to go to Mass Street, 
And you were to begin asking, I have two questions. You ask a couple of questions. One, if you ask people randomly, um, do you know who Jesus is? You may, you know, we can't assume everybody does anymore, but hopefully a lot of people would say yes. And then ask them a second question, what's his last name? I wonder what a lot of people would say. My guess is a lot of people would say last name was Christ, right? Last name is Christ. But Christ isn't a last name. Christ is a title. Christ means Messiah, or the equivalent, the equivalent of Messiah would be the anointed one. And this takes us back to the Old Testament. There were three offices, three anointed offices. You could say roles that were set apart by God in the Old Testament, the office of prophet, of priest, and of king. And these were anointed by God. They were ordained by God and anointed by the Holy Spirit in order to rescue God's people and lead God's people. So as we come to Deuteronomy 18, I want us to focus on this ordained, anointed office of prophet and the significance of Jesus' fulfillment of this. So in Deuteronomy 18, why this passage? It's the key passage in the Old Testament that sets up the understanding of this line of prophets and especially this ultimate prophet that God will bring to the world. So Deuteronomy 18.15 again. The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you should listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Okay, the context here of this assembly at Mount Horeb, otherwise known as Mount Sinai is when God revealed the Ten Commandments to his people through Moses. And on that day, it was an awesome display of God's power on that mountain with darkness and fire. So much so that Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 through 28, tells us that the leaders of Israel were so terrified that they asked Moses if he would stand in between them and God as the mediator. Pointing to a future ultimate mediator that would stand between the people and God. And here's the promise in Deuteronomy 18.15. That God will raise up a prophet like Moses from among his people. Now... We know that God raised up many prophets in the Old Testament scriptures, right? But this is pointing beyond them to an ultimate prophet that God would raise up for his people. And this prophet will be like Moses. And the question is, how will this prophet be like Moses? There has been much ink spilled on this question, so I'll just summarize with this. Uh, three things I'll point to is this future prophet, Jesus, will be like Moses in the sense of intimacy with God, demonstrating the very power of God, 
and also revealing the heart of God, revealing the law of God. So first, with intimacy, um, Moses was unique among the prophets, and we see this in the book of Numbers, in chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And here's the context of Numbers 12, 6 through 8. Miriam and Aaron challenge Moses. Essentially, Moses, God has called Moses to lead his people. Miriam and Aaron decide to challenge this, and they essentially say to Moses, uh, who do you think you are, Moses? Do you think you're the only one to really lead us? And right then, the scriptures say, suddenly, God came down to them in the pillar of a cloud. He had those three come before him. Then he separated out Miriam and Aaron, and he says this, If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And then this is affirmed later in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. Deuteronomy 34 is the last chapter in Deuteronomy, and it, it speaks of, uh, of Moses' death at that point. And this is where Moses again is affirmed. And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So I love this passage, especially thinking in terms of our vantage point now looking back, that we can put a parenthesis in here, right? And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, yet who the Lord knew face to face and with the signs and wonders. But we know that this points clearly to Christ. And we see in the book of Hebrews speaks to this. The, if you were to name the theme of the book, an overarching theme of the book of Hebrews, it's this. Christ is superior. And, and Hebrews walks us through the Old Testament basically saying Christ is superior. And so what we see in Hebrews chapter 1, and we read this this morning as part of our profession, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Right? And then Hebrews goes on in chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. I'll read some of this. Consider Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed Appointed, you can think in terms of to an office, uh, who appointed him just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted more worthy or, or worthy of more glory than Moses. The author goes on to say, Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And what's the significance of this? Moses had an intimate relationship with the Lord, but not even close to that of Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And we get a window into this intimacy. John chapter 17. It's Jesus' prayer. 
referred to as the high priestly prayer, Jesus' prayer to his Father, gives us a glimpse of this intimacy between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father, and also the mission of the Son. In verse 26, at the very end of this prayer, Jesus prays this, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus proclaims the truth about God because he wants his people to get caught up in the love of God. He proclaims the truth about God, Jesus' work, his mission was to share it, or was for God's people to share and to experience this glory, this love of God as sons and daughters. It's profound. So, Jesus, greater than Moses with respect to intimacy with the Lord, but also with respect to power. Deuteronomy 34 spoke of the signs and wonders and the mighty power and all the great deeds of Moses. And it's true. Think, of, think back to the Exodus and the miracles that God performed through Moses, the demonstration of power so that God's people could be set free from the oppression of Egypt. But that's no comparison to Jesus, who not only spoke the truth of God, demonstrated the grace, uh, the truth of God with great power. And it's Jesus who provides an even greater deliverance than Moses. For Moses, it was from Egypt, and it was through the Red Sea. But for Jesus, it was from Satan, sin, and death, and it was through the cross. Again, how profound. Also, how is this Jesus, the prophet, superior to Moses in revealing the truth of God, the heart of God. Jesus clearly fulfills the office of the Old Testament prophet with what he reveals about God, but here's the difference. He's more than a prophet. He is the word of God. John's gospel opens with, in John 1, chapter 1, we read that this morning. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As one theologian put it, we can think of God's Word, as John did in the first chapter of his gospel, as somehow identical with Jesus Christ. And then later in John 1:14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as God incarnate, God in the flesh, Jesus speaks the very word of God. Jesus perfectly revealed God. And then I love these, what I think of as the chapter ones. John chapter one, verse 18. This is how God, when we see Jesus he reveals God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, meaning Jesus, he has made him known. So if we want to know the heart of God, we need to know Jesus. We look at Jesus. Hebrews 1.3, 
He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus is the glorious light of God radiating out, perfectly representing God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 19. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So again, in those moments, those times when we are suspicious of God, we look at Jesus. God, is God really caring? Is God really compassionate? Is God really faithful? Look at Jesus throughout the scriptures. Was he caring and compassionate and faithful? Does he show us perfectly the heart of God? Yes. Now, I want to conclude the sermon by walking through uh, Matthew's gospel and looking at Matthew through the lens of Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of the prophets. So uh, feel free if you'd like to turn to Matthew and, and just try to keep up. Smiley face. I actually wrote that on my paper. Uh, to remind me to turn there, and I put a smiley face. Anyway, here we go. Matthew, Matthew chapters 1 through 3. In the opening chapters of Matthew, uh, Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophets often to declare the fulfillment of these prophets in Christ. A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Right, that's from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7. And this ruler and this shepherd will come from Bethlehem, from the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And the people, especially in reference to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, who have been walking in darkness, they've seen a great light, Matthew tells us. That's from Isaiah, chapter 9. See, they're pointing to, these prophets are pointing to this future Messiah, and they're longing, they're longing for that Messiah to come. And Matthew says, he is here. Matthew 3. In Matthew 3, um, Matthew records the baptism of Jesus. Now, the baptism of Jesus is what launched Jesus' public ministry. In his identification with sinners, though Jesus was not a sinner, but would come to remove their sin. So this baptism launches his public ministry. And then verse 16 of Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw, uh, yeah, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Okay, just pause for a second. The Spirit of God descending like a dove, Holy Spirit coming to rest on him, that is the anointing of Jesus, okay? And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Voice from heaven. It's God the Father, right? We'll hear this sentence again in Matthew, but something else will be added that's really important for us. We'll hold that intention for now. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tempted by Satan. Satan knows that if he can entice Jesus into sin, that Satan will wreck God's plan of redemption for his people. But Jesus' response at every turn to Satan is, 
it is written. Jesus faithfully quotes God's word accurately. And think of it this way. Whereas Adam failed in his, you could say, prophetic role of receiving the word and passing it on, where Adam failed, Jesus perfectly fulfilled it in his faithfulness to God. Matthew chapter 5. This is the account when Jesus went up on a mountain, and from there, Jesus will begin to reteach the law in the Sermon on the Mount. So, up on a mountain and the law. We should think Moses, right, and the Ten Commandments. But this prophet is greater than Moses. Repeatedly, Jesus will say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And Jesus says, you have heard it said, because he's referring to what they have heard from the false prophets of their day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And what Jesus is doing is correcting their, their uh, misunderstandings of the word of God and bringing the people back into a right understanding of Scripture. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And he says it with all authority. In fact, I love this comment, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. After Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew tells us, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Teaching as one who had authority, and they were, the Scriptures tells us, astonished. So, question for us this morning. Are you astonished at the word of God? Is that a word that would characterize your approach to the scriptures? Astonished. I'm going to share this story. So, about a year ago, my son Quentin and I decided uh, to do a Bible study. For, especially for some of his friends uh, in the Topeka area. Uh, Quentin there went uh, to uh, high school in Topeka's senior year, so got to know some of these guys. We decided to do a Bible study. First Bible study, um, one of his friends who showed up, it, we decided to do the book of Revelation, because why not, right? Um, so the very first time of this Bible study, I'm watching one of Quentin's friends I don't ever call him Quentin. From now on, he's Q. I'm watching one of Q's friends uh, constantly fighting back tears. And so um, I didn't know it at the time. I, I was trying to discern. He, he'd been through a pretty rough patch. But looking back now, I think what God was really doing was beginning to convict him of sin, draw him to himself. And so a few weeks later after that Bible study... Uh, this guy is, uh, he, you know, he's uh, about 20. This guy is, uh, he says, he's, he told me later, he was in his car and he had just purchased the best weed he had ever purchased and was really excited about smoking it. And he, uh, and it was in that moment that he recognized no matter how good that is, it won't satisfy me. He recognized an emptiness that the weed can't take care of and that nothing could take care of. Just so happened that in the car with him was another Christian. They began to talk. 
about the Lord and where the conversation, my understanding, it wasn't a long conversation, but the Christian said, hey, let's do this. I got a song for you to listen to. And so he played the song Oceans by Hillsong. I love this part of the story. If you don't know that uh, Oceans, it's the, uh, some of the lyrics, I will call upon your name, keep my eyes above the waters when oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, you are mine, your grace abounds in deepest waters, your sovereign hand will be my guide. My guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed, you won't start now. So the lyrics, uh, a lot of lyrics to it, but the, it's, it's in this season of his life and listening to that song, he comes to faith in Christ. Okay, amazing testimony. But then fast forward in, in my Bible studies from here on out. He is the one, so because he was not raised in a church, he was kind of raised in the church a little bit, you dabbled in young life a little bit, but not enough. The things that oftentimes that we know and that we teach our children in this church that we take for granted, not him. He knows very little, but is so hungry would be so astonished at the word. We'd be, every single Bible study, I kid you not, we're having this conversation in truth, we're talking about truth, and he gets all excited, he's like, what? He'll stand up, he starts high-fiving everybody, in the, high-fiving the rest of the Bible study. Like, he's astonished. It's fun. It's convicting. The question is, are we still astonished by the word? And if we're not, Okay, let's just be honest and ask God to light a flame, to rekindle our love for the scriptures, that we would find them astonishing. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Yeah, the disciples essentially, yeah, there's rumors going around. John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. See, here's what's interesting about that. Jesus was causing such a frenzy because of his life and ministry, and people of that day understood this prophecy that the Lord will raise up a prophet like Moses. So they're trying to figure out, is Jesus the one? So Jesus asked, who do the people say I am? They're answering these questions. Then he asks, well, you, my disciples, who do you say that I am? It's Peter that says, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. But they don't understand the full weight of that yet because they are just excited about the exaltation. They do not yet realize the humiliation of the cross that Jesus will have to endure as the priest before he's exalted as the king. Matthew 17 gives us the account of the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are with Jesus. When they go up on a mountain, Jesus is transfigured before them. In other words, the glory of God radiating. Verse 3 And behold, Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus, right? Moses, you could say, represented the Old Testament law and a prophet, and Elijah, 
representing the prophets, talking with Jesus. And then a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Do you remember I quoted that before? And that goes on to say, listen to him. This is an echo from Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Again, the question this morning, how are we doing at listening? How are we doing at listening? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired, breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Are we pursuing righteousness in all areas? Are there areas of sin in our lives that we, kind of like Adam and Eve, we know the truth, but just unwilling to do it because that did not go well for Adam and Eve and it will not go well for us in our lives? Are we listening? I was thinking about really practical step on this one. Um... Are you listening? Yeah, the corporate worship we gather together. How about through the week? There's so many areas of input in our lives, but is the word part of it? Or are we listening to the scriptures? Um, if you do not currently, here's the practical step. If you do not currently have a reading plan, I was thumbing through Mark and recognized that it just so happens that the days in April with Easter correspond with the chapters in Mark. So if you were to begin reading Mark on, like, today's the third, so pick up, you, you know, speed read through one and two, and then pick up three, and then just keep going on Good Friday or, or on Monday Thursday, you'll be in that section of Mark that talks about it. On Good Friday, you'll be in that section, preparing us for Easter, practical step. But let me conclude with this. Um, I, was looking for a, uh, I was looking for a documentary. Uh, to watch a few uh, few evenings ago, came across John Denver. I'm like, hey, I like it. I like a lot of John Denver songs, so I started listening to it. And then I was trying to remember. I knew that he died early. I couldn't remember the things around it, so I started googling that. And as I did, one of the Google options that came up was, "What was John Denver's last words?" But that's interesting, isn't it? Significant at times. Last words. That's just the lead in to say, "What were Jesus's last words?" That's what's really significant, right? What does is, what is Matthew record for us? Um, his last words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's our Savior who took the cross on our behalf. So extreme was that suffering and that sacrifice calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's our Savior. But then also, Matthew records the last words of Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection from the grave and before his ascension, where he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, 
And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The reason I read that, and you might have already figured it out, is we have now been been given the role of prophets. Right? It's not trying to predict the future. The role of proclaiming the reality of our risen Savior to a world that desperately needs to hear it. The way, second, the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we are ambassadors for Christ, proclaiming him. And what are we proclaiming? God knew him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might receive the righteousness of Christ. That is what we proclaim to a world. And let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would be faithful as uh, your ambassadors, that we would be gripped, moved by the scriptures um, in such a way that we would be astonished. Pray that if our hearts are dry uh, towards the word, that you would rekindle them. I pray that we would be as a church encouraging to one another. You would strengthen us through through your word and help us to proclaim it. Help us to be faithful. Pray that you would give us opportunity and that when you do, that we would be bold with the opportunities that you have given us. So Jesus, we give you thanks for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we also pray for the needs uh, in our church. Uh, We pray for... um, Lizayet, as she continues to care uh, for Elaine Jones and, and uh, for Elise, for Liz's mom, as she cares for her mother, that uh, I pray that you would um, really bless Liz, give her the strength that she needs. Also, uh, for Elise, for Elaine, that you would be with them uh, powerfully, especially in the midst of suffering. Um, she would help them. Pray also a number of our uh, people with cancer, uh, other illnesses, other um, injuries. And and Lord, that's not even to touch on uh, just other hurts, relational, um, and just the struggles of living in a fallen world. Thanks that you're with us. Pray that you would strengthen our people, that you would heal our people, that you would help us as a church to bear one another's burdens. And thanks that you're a faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.